Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hello, this is Mike Daniel, host of 19 Hits the Dragon, the bi-weekly podcast where I interview creators from the tabletop RPG community and get answers to the long-awaited questions like, um, how are you so talented? Where do you get all of your ideas and how can I do that for myself? Please? Deal with situations like, or have you ever seen a giant earthworm? Those things are terrifying. Cover hot takes. Know the rules, but know that they can be broken. And especially if it just makes it way cooler and more fun, and break them. And of course, hi- highest level of professionalism here on 19 Hits the Dragon, as always. So just search 19 Hits the Dragon on your podcast platform of choice, and then go out and tell 19 of your closest friends. And we'll see y'all there. Bye-bye. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. Very excited to be cracking into some upcoming, some fresh news that's hitting us all on the tabletop role-playing game community. But as always, joined by my illustrious, wonderful, well-traveled, groomed co-hosts, Mr. Lee Wanika Miller, Mr. Glenn Myers. Gentlemen, how the hell are you? It's been, it feels like a long time since we recorded, but it really has actually been a short time since we recorded, which is the irony of time. <laughs> the irony of time, huh? <laughs> the irony of time, exactly. Right. Yeah. I'm not 100% certain you made sense there, Josh, but I'll take it. Time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana. It's like, that's. <laughs> or fruit flies love bananas. That's it. Yeah, but that's not the time flies like an arrow. I, I got you. Fruit flies because it's tasty. See, exactly. Yeah. A banana. A banana. Anyway. Yes. I'm here with your, your humor, Josh. I'm with you. Uh, how are I'm, you guys doing tonight? Dude, we're what's, what is happening in your life? start today. Yeah, it's been a fantastic weekend for me overall. I got to take in a Shakespeare play with my wife. A lot of calamity getting there, but a lot of fun watching the play. And one of the actors in the play is a very close friend of mine. In fact, the one of the very first friends I ever had in my life before I even went to kindergarten. And we had an absolute blast hanging out afterwards. It was a wonderful time catching up. We hadn't seen each other since pre-pandemic. And it was wonderful. It was a wonderful evening, followed by 
an amazing game with our patrons. Had a great time doing Star Trek Preservations. Uh, the first episode I ran after the pilot episodes, all of which will be aired on the channel, our Tuesday drop days in the near future. We just released today as we're recording part three of our session zero. And so following that, we'll actually be getting into the pilot episode. And pilot then, episodes, yeah. Yeah, we're going to have a great time. A lot of fun. Had some cool moments. Really good Star Trekky fun. Nice. Yep. I can't yep. wait to. It's very exciting. I wasn't in that one. I was in Josh's. No. Yeah. But like that's we've said this before that the system itself really begs itself or really allows itself to get those Star Trekky moments, like you said. That's running the game felt like going through an episode of Star Trek. It was really it, it, it's really no other way to describe it. They've really no, done a really good job cool. with that. Yep. How about you, Glenn? How are things wherever the heck you happen to be right now? Right now we're in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, down here. We've been trying to bring Nate down to see Gettysburg for a couple of years now, but most of the times when we have available to go, it's in the spring, not quite on season yet, and there's often something for maintenance going on, usually burning. They do a lot of burning to control controlled burns to maintain Little Round Top and stuff so it doesn't get all overgrown. But we made it this time, and Little Round Top's still closed. But we're having a great time anyway, <laughs> and we did half of the driving tour yesterday. Where Because the Battle of Gettysburg was so big that, yeah, you can't tour the battlefield. You could tour the battlefield on foot, but you'll need the whole day. Yeah. And like a solid day pack and some serious snacks and a pair of hiking boots, because you'll be at it all day. But we're having a good time looking around and doing the tourist thing. And I need that just to get up the stairs. That's not saying an awful lot. If I don't have snacks between floors, then that's yeah. That's a bad day. You hit that middle landing, and then sometimes you just get to sit <laughs> down. You just got like, to you know, sit down. Get a cramp. <laughs> just need some like Gatorade. Or, yeah, totally. But, My rheumatoid. Anyway, <laughs> that sounds amazing. Though. I haven't been to Gettysburg in years and years and years. As a history buff, I am slightly slightly jealous and enamored of your travels. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My son is very much a history buff too, cool. and that he knows more about history than I know about most things. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's always a good time. And especially when he's with us, we tend to hit the more historic sites for what we go to see. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Let's get into today's topic proper. So today is going to be a scattershot episode where we're not going to be talking about just one thing tonight. We're actually going to be talking about four distinct things so, really at the end of the day. To me, this episode kind of encompasses what we were trying to do when we started our State of the Table, which I find entertaining yes. because Critical Role is calling their State of the Press that they just started. <laughs> and I'm wondering if they picked up on our State of the Table and they were feeding off of that. I right? think they totally stole our idea. I'm not going to go ahead and say that uh, that we had some folks on the show that have some influence with the Critical Role community. Uh, right. You know. I would be you know. proud of Matt Mercer stealing an idea from <laughs> hey, us. I'm going to be it, honest. <laughs> it, it, so it, it, they are welcome to borrow our ideas anytime that they would like, just with proper attribution. Hashtag call your boys to DJ. That's all I got to say. Tonight, we're going to be talking about some... So we're recording this like in the middle of April here. Uh, we There has been some news in the tabletop role-playing game community over the last three or four months. Some things have happened. We've right. done some episodes about these things that have happened. And since we did those episodes... As more things often have the case, more things have <laughs> happened. And so tonight we're going to be trying to go ahead and touch on the variety of things which are happening in the tabletop role-playing game space, all circling around the toilet bowl that was the OGL kerfluffle that happened at the end of last year. So we're going to be touching on news out of Kobold Press. We're going to be touching on news from Paizo. We're going to be touching on some Wizards of the Coast news. 
And as we alluded to just a moment ago, we're going to be diving into some critical role news also. So I think if we start at the top of the of, of the stack of paperwork here in front of us, let's start with the Wizards of the Coast news. And this really goes back to the Dungeons and Dragons Summit, which happened about a month ago or so at this point. And the first kind of topic in that list is what do we want to call it? A rebranding of one D&D to be not really a different thing, really just a revision of fifth edition that's going to require you to go ahead and buy a whole new set of core books, but the rules are totally the same? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain or the things behind the curtain yeah. as we shift. It's, a, it, it's almost like a shell game that, that yeah. they're trying to play. Do they think we're stupid? But I, so, I don't think that they think that we're stupid. I, I because I, I, I have thoughts on that. I'll let y'all finish first. Yeah, I think the changes are going to be good, but that's a separate issue altogether. Go ahead, Louis. Yeah, so I'm going to get to a few details about the summit itself and the folks who were invited and the overall of the event. But speaking on this, which did not go well for them, by the way. Yeah, let's, it did not. It did yeah, not so go well I, for Wizards. So I do want to make sure we get back to that. But speaking specifically about the rebranding. Look, a rebranding was going to happen anyway. One D&D at the end of the day was a project name. They may have attempted to pass it off like that's going to be the name, but it was a project name. It was never a good name for a game. It was never going to be a good name for a game. And at the end of the day, everybody was going to call it whatever. It was going to end up being 5.5 or 6 edition anyway. I don't think that made a big difference like they tried to do skills and powers nobody called it that it was just second edition and a half or whatever it did it was just a thing right so this is not new ground what i found to be interesting was listening to chris perkins talk with todd kendrick about what they're putting in the new dmg and some of the ideas they were talking about and i listened to it and i tried to be objective try to put my emotions and my feelings and even some of my logic to the side so I could listen to the information objectively. And what I found was interesting about what they're talking about with the DMG and what little and precious little they gave us about what they're going to do differently with the player's handbook was that none of the suggestions posited in that video were bad. None of them seemed wrong to me. Now, dodging the question of why would people want to buy a new book that they already have if there's only minor changes that's that is a herculean step by the way and a real one for people who have financial concerns with games and buying new products but they're not wrong the biggest problem with the dmg we've talked about it many times on this show is the way it's organized the dungeon master's guide has great information that nobody will ever know it's there because it's buried in ways and under topics that it's hard to find. Unless you're using a tool like D&D Beyond and you are doing a search within that window or within that book for a thing, it is hard to find yeah. these things. If you've got the physical book in your hand, it's a rough go. For so a book that's called The Dungeon Master's Guide, it does a really lousy job of guiding you how to be a dungeon master. Roger Absolutely. That. It does not teach you how to be a dungeon master. And that is one of the things they're saying that they're they're addressing. Yep. And I get that. And I'm all for it. Yep. But if you're going to put out a new core three, that's a new 
game or a new version of the game to say that it's still 5e oh no it's still 5e guys because we know you're so upset about everything else that it's still 5e it's got to be 5e trust us it's 5e we're changing it the rules will be different you're gonna have to learn to play again but it's gonna be backwards compatible and it'll still be 5e that's impossible to say it's okay my my opinion what i think is going on i think one D was a real name i think that their goal of uniting all of D under one brand was part of the OGL debacle. And once the OGL debacle went down and they learned that they weren't designing games just for a bunch of kids, but and they weren't taking into account the fact that the most of the players or a lot of the players of this hobby are fully matured, grown adults with careers. There are lawyers, there are doctors who play this game, right? This isn't a bunch of teenagers and under that Hasbro's normally marketing for. And when the OGL blew up in their face and then the community said, hey, we're not okay with you trying to monopolize this even further than you already have it, but they're standing there with, I don't they're all of their shit in one sock, but everybody knows that sock stinks and there's backtracking and trying to figure out what they can do instead. Yeah. So they're trying to use the same stuff because they've already put a lot of money into building it. The one D and D was, and they were acknowledging that it was a change with one D and D, but it would be backwards compatible to five E, but they weren't going to call it five E or 5.5 or six because it was a new edition, but it was supposed to be the last edition, i.e. them getting their iron fist around the whole sack of potatoes. So I don't disagree with most of what you said, but I heard something very different regarding specifically the DMG, the Monster Manual. They said very little about the Player's Handbook, so I won't speak to that. But specifically, when they're talking about those two books, the Dungeon Master's Guide and that, they didn't at least in the interview between Kendrick and Perkins, they didn't mention changes. What they did say they were going to do was reorder things and add new things, but they weren't necessarily changes. In fact, if I recall the conversation, I may be paraphrasing a bit. Perkins says we're not fundamentally changing the monsters. We're adding new monsters to the monster manual to fill in the gaps that were there before. He specifically called out they needed more things at higher levels of play. And there would be a huge challenge in adding a lot of new things that would alter the way an old monster works. So they are not, at least as far as the monster manual, if wizards can be trusted, that's doing a lot of heavy lifting right now. But if they can be trusted, they're not adding anything to the monster manual that will change any of the old monsters. So basically, a whole bunch of it is going to be reprint, and then you're going to get some amount, and we're hoping it's more than five individual entries. We don't know the amount of entries, but we're going to get effectively a quote-unquote thicker monster manual. It'll be enough that it'll justify the new price tag, which will likely be 60 or $65. And do you think these reprinted monsters that I already have in my current monster manual that I've already paid for are going to be exactly the same? Or do you think they're going to be rewritten under the new monster and stat block rules for spellcasting and other things that they came out with Mordecanons, which is part of the 1D&D evolution. Because when you take that into account, if they do, they're rewriting the entire core book to suit a new set of rules. So I don't view what we got in Mordecanons to be 
it is different, but it is not fundamentally different such that it doesn't work with 5e as is. I think Morgan Cadence works perfectly fine. I actually, one, like the new spellcasting rules as a DM. I think it works a little better. It's a little easier to run. I like a lot of the rules they're changing, man. I like a lot of the rules they're changing. It's the point of how they're trying to do it. It's the wool they're trying to pull over our eyes by changing its name leaving it the same and still making us buy a new set of books. And I absolutely want to get to that. But to answer your first question, I do not think any of the monsters added will make invalidate any of the monsters that existed. I don't believe that to be the case. I feel fairly confident based on what I've read that will be okay. The DMG being reorganized is designed to make it easier to read and actually teach people to run the game, which was never a part of the original product, and will add some probably some new bells and whistles. My only big concern with these two books is there going to be enough new content to justify buying a new book? That's what I have in question. I don't think it's going to change the game the way you seem to think it will, but I don't know if it's going to be enough to justify buying a new book. What they put out for one D and D was an improvement over like the play in the playtest documents for the most part that we were working through back when we were excited about it. We're an improvement. They were moving in a good direction. They have good ideas. Any of the rules that they're changing, I'm sure will ah, be. Yeah. Let me help you out here. I don't think anything we saw in one D and D in the playtest is actually going to make it into the game. I think all that's out with the bathwater. I don't think any of that's happening. That's where I'm fundamentally basing my comments. They have not said that any of that goes through. So there might be a couple changes here or there, but I don't think any of the big changes, certainly not the ones to the classes, I don't think any of that's happening. I think most of those playtests are out the door. Totally disagree. And we should be moving on to our next topic, but I will disagree on this point. They put out a new playtest document today with five new class rewrites. The fighter, okay. the barbarian, the sorcerer, the warlock. And, and it would make no sense business-wise for them to do that in a market where so many of the people that used to work with them are now branching off and doing their own thing because they've made everybody upset. If they don't put out a solid new rewrite like Kobold Press is doing, which we'll be talking about in a few minutes, if they don't put out an upgrade, they're going to lose all of their gamers to the n- new ones that put out upgrades that make the game better because they know it needs it. They know it does. So if they don't do it, they're fools. We're about to move on. I will just add this. At some other point, we can talk about the fact that most of the people who went there roasted wizards, did not like what they had to do. The focus on the VT versus the content was a big problem for a lot of the people there. A lot of the people who were invited who went on behalf of the community, not because they like wizards, not because they wanted to deal with wizards, and most of them refused to allow themselves to be marketed by wizards. That was a consideration. They could have chosen to be marketed, and they chose... Most of them chose not to. They had a lot of questioning things, and I will just I will paraphrase many of them here. The issue at this point is whatever they want to do with the game, it's a game. They'll make a game that will be playable or will like the game or we won't. The question is everything I look at them, even the things I like, are tainted. Everything that I look at from Wizards, even when they tell me in a video everything I want to hear about the game, I still have to question, one, is it actually going to happen? And two, what's the catch? Mm -hmm. They've tainted my feelings, and I don't know when that's going to change. So, And then one person Trust is hard to earn back, and it takes time. And one person said, if you're going to have to buy new books, and there are four new things to buy, 
why do you go with the people you don't trust? And that should lead us right into the very next group. Let us move on then. We're going to put Wizards of the Coast aside for right now and all the stuff that's going on over there. Now, next on the stack is Cobalt's Press. And the big announcement that Cobalt Press has made is multifaceted, but... Project Black Flag, which we talked about on the show not long ago, is now renamed Tales of the Valiant. That's going to be its final name. And I will shout out for right now on the air for whoever is manning the Cobalt Press Twitter account who commented after uh, we had retweeted our Black Flag episode to go ahead and very kindly point out that it's no longer Project Black Flag and that is now Tales of the Valiant. The invitation is on the table. We would love for y'all to come on the show and talk to us about Tales of the Valiant and Project Black Flag answer a lot of the questions that we had come up when we did that episode. We'd love oh, to have you on the show. Fantastic. We, would, yeah. we would make space on our calendar for you. Absolutely. Mm. But that's one half of the big announcement is that obviously it is now branded with its official name and they have officially announced their Kickstarter to go ahead and put Tales of the Valiant out coming right. in May. So it's going to be opening very soon here. What do we think? How do we feel about the rebrand? How do we feel about them going to Kickstarter so soon? How, what do we think that means in terms of what their progress is and how ready to go they think they are? I'm excited. I think that they're further along than we thought they were. And being ready to launch a Kickstarter already is good news. I'm excited to see what they put out. And Tales of the Valiant is the name of their game, but they're still and working on and creating alongside it the core fantasy role-playing SRD system to, that other people can build off of. Yeah. And what we saw yeah. in the first in the playtest so far in the playtest document so far really looks like the nice upgrade to Five E, like we were just talking about that Watsi needs to do if they want to stay competitive with these new games that are coming out. I absolutely agree. I have not been a secret. I really like what Cobalt Press is putting down. I'm very fascinated. I love the change they've made. No small part of that. That is because they have the same changes I've been championing for three years on this podcast and a few years before that. <laughs> but they make the changes in, that you want. They're very smart people, aren't they? <laughs> absolutely. In fact, they're brilliant. Brilliant. In addition to that, I love the concept that, hey, we're making the core fantasy game. That's for everybody. And here's our IP. Our IP is what we're kickstarting. So we are going to get the special bells and whistles for our IP, but we're going to have this framework. And I would look forward to, as they build on that, that they also at least do modules, whether they be digital or physical, hopefully physical as well, to build on the core fantasy thing. So their monster manuals and things like that would likely be there and then they will have other supplements that would be for specifically their ip game it is very similar to what paizo did with pathfinder and galarian it is its own world and a lot of the stuff within specific things are just for that but because it's built on this great base you can do your own things within that. And if and everything goes the way we're expecting it to, based on their level of transparency, the trust they've engendered, at least with me, hopefully with the community at large, I have no doubt that we're going to have a scaffolding that we can build our games from with this, still playing the core 5e style game, but have these much better bells and whistles, a little more crunch that I like in a game, and much more uniqueness. So 
all of the characters don't feel so samey and that the higher tiers of play become much more realistic not real not realistic as in gritty realism but realistic as hey it's actually worthwhile to play beyond 13th level like a game doesn't need to peter out at 10th level because everything after that is shite it's there's actually exciting stuff coming up right yep yeah and i think that too with this announcement we are starting to see a little bit more more movement of all the players on the table, right? Because mm-hmm. so has what has Cobalt come out and said? Cobalt has come out and said that they are going to be releasing Tales of the Valiant under an open, perpetual, irrevocable license, like the SRD, but more thorough, like right. the SRD was. So they're not going full Creative Commons like Wizards of the Coast did with D and D five E, but they are they are putting it under a perpetual license. And the prevailing mind is that. Tales of the Violent is actually going to, Tales of the Valiant is going to be released under the ORC, which is being developed by Paizo. So we're seeing this synergistic collaboration. Synergistic. Co- I, yeah. I was going to, I was going to, I was going to go a little bit more like opposing forces on one side. You've got wizards on one side and you've got everybody who's not wizards, but designing Dungeons and Dragons like material on the other side. It's like the Betamax VHS wars going on. Who's going to win out? And so I think that's very interesting. It, it's very interesting to go ahead and see that, that Cobalt is not developing their own SRD for this material. They're getting into bed with Paizo and the ORC, which is intriguing. Yeah. It's true to form with their original announcement. It is true to form with their original announcement that when they released, there are a bunch of folks that are signing on to Project Black Flag. It wasn't necessarily that they were designing for Project Black Flag. It was that we are agreeing that we need to work to handle this issue moving forward. I think what we're seeing is the response or the re- or not even the resolution, but the inaction of the plans that were that had to do with that big signing when they all the different companies that signed on and Paizo was one of them. I think this is what we're seeing. Paizo is going to make the orc. They're going to respond with that. They're going to do their own separate games because Paizo is going forward with Pathfinder 2. I think that we're seeing what they spoke about come to fruition. And again, it just speaks to the overall transparency of some organizations in this hobby versus the one that we know is not transparent. So since we've cracked open the nut that is Paizo and the ORC, that's actually the next topic on our list because the first draft of the ORC has been released to go ahead and actually spell out what is the ORC going to cover and how is it going to cover it. And we've learned some things about it, like it's being managed by a third-party group, much like the original OGL was supposed to be before it was revoked, (laughs) for lack of a better term, until it was not, until they decided that they didn't want to go ahead and do that anymore. And they are... Even so, both Paizo and Azora, the group that is handling the management of the OGR, they have opened it up to public commentary to go ahead and say, here's what we think we need from this open license. Here's what we think the open license needs to go ahead and cover. Here's how we think it best suits the gaming community. What does the gaming community actually think about that? This is, they're very much, they even use the phrase, meets the needs of the majority of participating publishers. It's our intention to wrap up the entire process by the end of April, if possible. That work is now complete. And so the next phase begins and the next phase is public commentary. They're going to be accepting feedback on what the ORG is, what the ORC is covering, not covering, and how it needs to change to go ahead and suit the needs of publishers. And I think that is a very key change from what we saw from the the impetus of this entire uh, of this entire of where we are now is that, that they all, are inviting publishers in. 
but that also comes with bringing in publishers and specifically the way they're trying to make it clear and what you can and can't do, et cetera, versus having any of the uncertainty of the old OGL is it's brought in some heavier language in yep. some areas for not necessarily trying to go for legal ease. The way that they put it was they wanted to make it as simple as they could while still being as clear as possible. So they went simple in every way that they could, unless they felt that it needed to be more clear. And then they stayed with as, as, clearly stated as possible but that brings in some precise is what i meant to say and i remember reading that same set of comments from them they didn't want potential or future owner doing something to this plan that the framers did not want which is effectively what took place or similar to what took place over at Watsi, new people in mm -hmm. charge of the company to right. change their mind and said, is there any way to legally get out of this? And then they found loopholes. They got lawyers who found loopholes. And then right. they said, okay, we're out. And they created a mess. So what they were saying effectively was in order to make sure nobody comes in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years yes. from now, 100 it's years from now. to be good now, stewards of and, their own game. And messes up what we're trying to do. They are trying to set as many legal precedents as possible, being very clear with what their intentions are. But that requires a certain amount of legalese. We are, fortunately or unfortunately, a country of laws. We are part of an international community of laws and regulations. And if things are not worded in a very specific and precise legal language, whether you and I as individuals and lay, laypersons like it or not, that's what you have to do to protect an idea. Absolutely. I'm to all be, for something it. to be aware of when you go into the document. Just yeah. be prepared. It, it tripped me up. It was not something that I found yeah. as an easy read at places, but I'm also not a legal scholar. Yeah. Just not. Yeah. Smart guy, not a legal scholar. It's definitely the thing that you want your lawyers to look at. But the upside <laughs> of doing public commentary the way they are is that as people say, hey, this is really confusing, they may be able to go back to yeah. the legal folk and say, okay, how can we say this differently? And maybe it'll get yeah. some improvement as it goes. Yeah. I think honestly, what we would see is a better answers and explanations document, because that was honestly, that was the savior in this entire process is that there was a, a three page document that said, hey, we know that this is complicated. Here are the questions we know are going to come up from it that we can try to go ahead and answer. Um, up front. And here they are. So I'd imagine that you'll see a better kind of FAQ that goes along with it to go ahead and explain it rather than the license itself getting simpler. Yep. And one of the things that just to go ahead and touch on the answers and explanations document. One thing that was really cool about it was how they drew the line between what the ORC is and is not, and what Wizards did putting the 5th edition SRD into the Creative Commons. And I think that more people want to make sure that they understand the, the distinction between the two, because there is one really big difference. And the, for, as a, I mean, we pride ourselves as content creators, but we also pride ourselves as content creators who maintain control of the work that we put out. We want to go ahead and maintain control so that we can decide where it's going to go, what it's going to, how it's going to be distributed, that sort of thing. So the really big difference has to do with downstream rights when you put out content, which is covered by the ORC. It's important to note that once you put out content that is covered by the ORC, it is now content which is available to other content which is under the ORC, right? So if we put out a book and put it out under the ORC, 
it's now available to anybody else who also wants to go ahead and tag their work with the ORC. There is no exclusivity anymore under the ORC, which is totally by design and on purpose. That was the, one of their defining principles. And it's one of those things in technology, we see this all the time in the open source community, where it's like, depending on the particular open source license that you use for your software determines on whether or not it's exclusive or not. There is open source license, there is open source software that you do not gain rights to by using or by downloading. And there is, there is also open source software that if you produce content with that software, the content that you produce with it is also automatically open source. And that's more what the ORC is going for. And that, so they were very clear drawing the line between our ORC license means that the content you put out there is ORC and usable by anybody else that also wants to use the ORC. Period. That's the way the license is built. As opposed to the Creative Commons route that Wizards of the Coast went, where their SRD is Creative Commons, but if you use their SRD to write additional comment, additional content, your content is not automatically open source. Other people cannot use yep. the content you create with their SRD to go ahead and do the same. So, so it is a it's a philosophy difference between the two. And just to clarify for our audience, because I think I have a good handle on it, but I just want to make sure I've got it and I want to make sure yep. everybody in our audience has it. Sure. I am a content writer. I write a module under the Creative Commons. Yeah. That module is mine. Yes. I own the IP. So if I write it, write it and I come up with a character name, Drop Dog's IP is mine. All Drop Dog's, his general powers and abilities, the titles of those special things are mine, while the mechanics would not be because that's a separate thing. But that I own that IP now. Drop Dog and all of his adventures belong to me. If I write Drop Dog and produce it under ORC, three weeks later, a year later, you can write something for, about Drop Dog utilizing some of those same names. Again, mechanics are free for all anyway, but you can write something for that and then make a video game with that. I have no claim to anything about Drop Dog other than that which I made. The specific line is the ORC license is a license that can be used by anyone to open their game up for others to use. It's the design of the license. Correct. So it gives you protection as the one that created it, but it does not give you any exclusivity to keep other people from using it. Okay. So. Cool. Yeah, which is, again, just like, it's a different philosophy, right? It's a different philosophy than the Creative Commons route that Wizards of the Coast went. Because I think, and I think, honestly, the reason why is because after the OGL kerfluffle, one of the big major concerns was that the rewrite of the OGL basically gave Wizards access to content that was produced under their SRD. Right. I think, on some level, they may have panicked a little bit when they got that pushback and they went to creative commons to go ahead and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put it under a license that in no way, shape or form allows us to do that right, wrong or indifferent. I think that, that was very much a reaction to, to OGL 2.0. Wizards has so. to be panicking and reeling throughout this oh, whole sure. thing. This yeah. is a giant eye opening event for them and they're not yeah. done learning Yep. each time they try something new, like the yep. Creator summit. Yeah. They so, come in oh. with one plan and suddenly find that the community <laughs> has a different idea. Totally. Right. I'm going to quote so, somebody right here. Wizards, you're going to learn. You're going to learn today. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you want early access to every Tabletop Journeys episode? How about exclusive content? 
live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans. Or, heck, do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing this show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. That makes it very interesting that when you think about Tales of the Valiant, so Tales of the Valiant is being published under the ORC, which means that Tales of the Valiant is automatically their player's book and their monster manual, which are basically what's going to be included in the Kickstarter, automatically usable and open source without really anything. Like it's just, it just is. Tales of the Valiant is going to be under ORC? Or that's going to be under their own thing. I no. thought they were going to be producing the, the core role-playing system under ORC, but Tales of the Valiant was going to remain separate. No, right, actually. I am I am conflating the two. You're correct. It's the core yeah. fantasy role-playing through open, perpetual, irre- irrevocable license they mentioned, presumably okay. the ORC. You're right. That yeah. makes a lot more sense now, because yeah. I hadn't read what you had said anywhere, well, but I did not read anything to the contrary, well, so I didn't want to... I don't actually think that they're different, because Tales of the Valiant is a core fantasy role-playing game and they're saying the core fantasy role-playing game will be covered by the ORC I don't think they're different (laughs) so maybe that's the one of the feedback questions we need to ask because it sounds to me like the intention is we're building the base game which everybody can use going back and forth anybody can do anything with it but if you use the base rules core fantasy role-playing the IP piece which happens to be Tales of the Valiant would be separate from that even yeah. though it is borrowing the rule set from, yeah. I don't know if that's how that legally works, but the I think that's very confusing. Actually, like now yeah, that I, I try think, to parse out the language, I, I, I think, think what they're trying. What they're, I think that's what they're trying to do. But I guess right. we need to ask that question to have it clarified. But honestly, like I said, this is one of those things that maybe the lawyers have to read it to get it because yeah. I don't know this stuff. Yeah, and by the way, any legal questions we raise or ask or attempt to even answer is not designed to be legal advice. <laughs> it is right, commentary yeah, yeah. and conversation. We, we are not lawyers. Suggest yeah. you speak to your professionals. We exactly. have them. We suggest you have them if yeah. you're in the content creation space. We're three idiots with a podcast. I don't think that there's a legal degree between the three of us, even by credit count. So I think that's nope. all right. I'm legally insane. <laughs> not really I, I used to be babysat in a law library so i've seen a bunch of legal books that's yeah all right let's uh, let's roll on to what is the last topic in our pile of paper here and it's probably arguably the biggest one of the three it's the biggest move because i don't think that anybody saw this coming at least in the level of detail that's coming out critical role is not only branching away from Dungeons and Dragons. Like we knew that was going to be coming after the OGL kerfluffle because let's be honest, critical role makes too much money to feel beholden to Wizards of the Coast anymore. That's just not, that is no longer a relationship that is tenable. Right. I knew it was coming before that. Sure. Yeah. When the Taldori book came out under Darlington press. Yeah. Even though nearly simultaneously they had products with wizards coming out of the pipeline. Sure. That told me a whole lot. 
Interesting. At okay. that point, they were greenlit for season two and were about to be greenlit for season three before season two had finished yeah. airing episode one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they had a book that sold out so bad it took them months to get it back into print. Yeah, yeah. That's- I happened to get the very last one at my flagship store, and I got to tell you, I knew then and there. A company that makes as much money as this, who is currently working with Wizards, is doing this for a reason. Yeah. I didn't know what the reason was, and I didn't know it, and I said it the last time we talked about these topics. This is how I am confident that a lot of people knew things were going sour at Wizards a year in advance of when the OGL crisis dropped, because that book came out a year before that, and this stuff was in the works for about a year. And in all fairness... Of course, they put out Taldari under Darrington Press. Darrington Press is Critical Role's publishing arm. So yep. it's not like they went to some other publisher and said, here, put out our Dungeons & Dragons book. They went down the hall and said, here, Keith, could you print this on the printer for me and put it in a book? They're not yeah. separate entities. Like Darrington Press is Critical Role's publishing arm. So it's not like it's totally out of the realm of possibility. Absolutely. But, but they had always been doing, at least as far as I knew, all of their D&D stuff yeah. through Wizards. That's true. So That's the, the fact that they took that book in-house told me there was poison in the well. The actual announcement itself is that Critical Role's Darrington Press is going to be putting out two new role-playing games and a new board game. And a and I don't know if the deck-building game and the board game are the same, but in, if nothing else, they have a, dr- a dramatic footprint of IP coming out, which is mm-hmm. going to be branded specifically for Critical Role and doesn't have anything to do with Wizards of the Coast. There's two games, a D6 game, Illuminated Worlds, which is based off of Forged in the Dark. But Daggerheart, the other one that they announced that they have very little detail on so far, is supposed to be a fantasy RPG focused on long-term campaigns and character development, i.e., just like Dungeons and Dragons, and they're going to basically build it off of the 5e SRD. Yeah, they're going to make their own better version of, now that they can. Since it's coming from the SRD, it can be 100% their own IP and product. So, yep. or and since it's in that, because that's in Creative Commons, okay. it's like we just discussed, it won't be under order or anything else. It'll be theirs. Interesting. That's way so, less interesting to me. <laughs> and you had that problem with Black Flag too, and I get it, but why yeah. would you reinvent the wheel? You already have such a huge fan base that follows you, that plays a game. So, if you're going to yeah. rebuild a game, build it like the one that they play, but better. Okay. Like so- he has been doing with all of the other things that he's put out is he's put out his subclasses and his settings and they because it's not just I mean, I, I, that's a really quick answer actually i can answer that because inside of me lives two wolves right from a business point of view i understand saying we're developing content we want to hang it on the 5e rules because 5e is still the most played game on the face of the planet there is a reason there's a lot of dollar and cent reason to do that my point isn't that they shouldn't do that from a business point of view. My point is that you shouldn't do that and claim to be a maverick at the same time. I don't know yeah, about that. Uh, Matt Mercer's so, not claiming to be a maverick. I hear your comments about, about Cobalt. I disagree with it's, but I it. It's more of a Black Flag commentary than Critical Role commentary. I will certainly right. give you that. So, I, And I will go this far. Uh, to me, it is an issue of adoption. If the idea is to have people enjoy your game, the reality is people navigate to things that are moderately different faster, more energetically, and more positively than they migrate to things that are radically different. 
And so the more mild you make your shift, the more people will be positively inclined to shift with you. I just think that's a, that's a, it is not, it, it, it equals it's not just business, it's good reason. gaming sense in terms it, it of is, bringing it, your current it a, audience. It is definitely a business issue, but more important to me, it's a creative issue. I want people to enjoy this thing. More people will enjoy it if it's like something they like. For example, I don't like chocolate chip cookies, right? I don't like chocolate. I don't know if anybody in the podcast world has ever known that. I don't eat chocolate. But I love Toll House cookies. I love Toll House cookies so much that I will pick chocolate chips out of the Toll House cookie just to eat the Toll House cookie. Bear in mind that if the goal was to switch people to a chocolate chip cookie or chocolate in general, the easiest way to get me to at least dip my toes in that water is put it in the cookie I already eat. Yep. And that's good game. I really didn't think you were going to have a solid analogy there by the time you were done. I thought it started to derail about halfway through, but you pulled it out. I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah. thank <laughs> you. And the fact that you make a solid analogy out of a cookie, which should be gooey and chewy, is amazing. Hey. That's only Lee Wanika, ladies and gentlemen, can go ahead and do that. Fat boy like, will travel. Like, I'm not arguing that point. Do I like the fact that it's 5e content? Yes, of course I like the fact it's 5e content. I've got an entire bookcase full of 5e books over here. Why wouldn't I want it to be 5e content? And like you said before, my commentary is more towards Kobold than it is to Matt Mercer, who has not come out to say that he is anti-Wizard of the Coast, although I did try to go ahead and find that quote. However, Kobold doesn't get to call themselves swashbuckling pirates against the wave of corporate imperialism as Hasbro, and then put out a gaming book built on the 5e platform. Just do. That's disingenuous. I'm not going to try to argue this point with you anymore. I'm simply <laughs> going to say, Josh, we had a whole man, <laughs> it's time you just let that go. It's well, let's get back to the critical role announcement. So uh, putting out two board games, one that's 5e based, one that's based in Forge of the Dark. What do we think critical role coming out and saying we're putting out new games is going to do to the marketplace now that we've already had Kobold and Paizo making very strong statements? Here's critical role making a strong statement. How do we think this is going to shake things up? Before we answer that question, let me also add a little fuel to this fire. Darrington Press is also going to be a Gen Con this year, something that Wizards of the Coast has not done in nearly a decade. They're not going to be a part of any panels, but they are going to have booths, and these games are going to be played at Gen Con. So to be clear, the only one that's specifically stated to be playable so far at Gen Con is Queen by Midnight, the deck building game. The other two games will both be featured and demoed at Gen Con, but they have not stated that they'll be playable by attendees. The die has been cast. I don't think you're going to find the quote you're looking for beyond this. They have said, we're there. Where are you? Yeah, they literally have. All I'm hearing from a big building in Seattle is crickets. I didn't hear any announcement from Watsy saying we'll be at Gen Con for the first time in 10 years either. Which would probably be a very bad idea for them this year. Wizards has lost touch with the gaming community. That's evident in this entire thing. And maybe they'll rethink that by next year. But yeah, if they just suddenly showed up this year with corporate BS, it would just make it worse. How can you possibly say that Wizards of the Coast has lots of touch from the gaming community when they just the other day sent armed thugs to a person who leaked the latest latest Magic of the Gathering cards to go ahead and reclaim their stolen property? Just because they sent armed thugs doesn't mean they're out of touch. They were very much in touch with the gaming community at that particular moment. <laughs> Search and seizure isn't the kind of touch I'm looking for from Wizards of the Coast. I'm just going to say that up front. 
Bouncing back is still super excited because what this means now is we will have two major competitors coming out against Watsi's D&D in the fantasy RPG space between Cobalt Press's Tales of the Valiant and Darrington Press's Daggerheart. We're going to have even more opportunities to find out which game sings for whom it's so exciting it's, it's almost like we've got a three-party system instead of a two-party system suddenly sorry to bring <laughs> politics into it but we went from a one-party system to a two and now we've got three all at once it's, it's insane we're actually going to have four in theory the gaming community has become a multi-party system kudos to my dad he'll love the fact that i just said that or made that connection <laughs> by this time next year we are quite likely to have if not out just about to be out and already being played, Watsi's D&D, whatever the new thing gets called or becomes. We will have Tales of the Valiant and the core role-playing system. We will have Paizo through Orc and its Pathfinder 2, as well as its, yes. as well as its subsequent Starfinder, which will probably get updates over the next couple of years as well. And we'll have two different kinds of games by Darrington Press. Something we mentioned, but okay. I don't want to gloss over too much, is that for those who want to play short art games, mm. like we're just going to play for a couple of weeks, play this D6 game. It's yeah. high fantasy. It's high fantasy in the Matt Mercer critical role style. And the idea behind it, as we understand it now, we'll know more come Gen Con. Not that we're going, but we'll know more from the reporting from Gen Con, how it plays and how those yeah. things work out. But the idea is... That's what you'll play at conventions. That's what you're going to play for those short-term games like over right. summer camp or something like that. Yep. Meanwhile, they've got hopefully beautiful new D20 game, which will be a lot more in the long campaign arcs like we're used to seeing with Vox Machina and the Mighty Nine yep. and all of those types of things, the kinds of games that I run in the Land of 18 Seeds at my home tables and such. So it'll literally be the kind of landscape where they share a concept high fantasy and i can run games like my tales of the wake runner at conventions through this d6 system i can choose one of three different types of games to run campaign arcs or i might run all three of them because there are people who play pathfinder that aren't going to go to something else there are yep. people who play 5e that aren't going to go to something else and there are people who played 5e and they want to have a little bit more crunch so they may go to Tales of the Valiant, or they may say, I'm really all about Critical Role, so I want to do that one. So we are in a world where we have, if you play high fantasy, we have choices. If you yeah. play high, if you play hard sci-fi, hang with us in, in Star Trek. We've got that too. But <laughs> this is the kind of world we're in where we've got choices again. It's a multi-party TRPG. And yep. for a small fledgling company of content creators like us, and all of the other ones out there, what a great time to be in the business because we're going to have so many options for who yes. we want to form our partnerships with, for who we want to write with. Because this team right here has a whole lot more 5e-style fantasy stories left to yeah. tell. And we were really worried with the OGL, too. Um, yeah. And it's really exciting to know that one way or another, with one system or another, or possibly for multiple systems, yeah. we'll be able to continue to put out 
Yeah. We've got folders High and innocent. folders of stuff we've just been sticking. In <laughs> yeah. If yeah. they don't fit this I mean, project, they go on another project. To put the timeline in perspective here. So we just sent out the book that we finished to our Kickstarters almost a week ago. This isn't something that we talked about a lot, but when the OGL situation happened in December and January, when all of this was going down, my wife was giving birth to my daughter. We were in the middle of trying to go ahead and put the finishing touches on our book uh, with no glib. I will say that there we was some anxiety. <laughs> we didn't know if we were going to be able to publish the product we'd already sold. Yeah, yeah. it was intimidating. Same gig that these other guys are going through, too. Imagine how many, we're talking about us, and we've just started, and how many folders we've got of extras sure. from projects that couldn't be used. How many backlogged ideas do you think the folks over at Critical Role or oh, Paizo yeah. or Cobalt Press have that oh. were already set up, maybe half, fled, half fleshed out and ready to go into their... A future project, this book, the next book, something in the next couple yeah. of years. Oh. And all of that stuff looked like it was going to be going in the freaking can. <laughs> yeah. And now it's not. It's really exciting. How many Scrivener documents do you think Hannah Rose has with ideas just floating out there that, that she hasn't even put any more a, a paragraph to or whatever? Or, or how many ideas do you think James Intercasso has sitting on a, in a notebook on his desk right now? I can only imagine. That's got to be... In, that's going to be ridiculous. Anyway, so that is the news in the tabletop role-playing game industry as we see it, as we think it is. Obviously, as Mr. Miller does so adeptly at the beginning here, nothing in this episode is constituted legal advice. This is us interpreting what we're seeing and trying to draw some conclusions about where things are and where things are going. Yeah, but we hope that you enjoy this. We want to go ahead and check in on the industry every couple of months or so to go ahead and try to try to keep uh, keep ourselves up to date. Because I, I, whenever we do an episode like this, I always learn stuff, stuff that I didn't pick up the first time around. Gentlemen, I, yep. I appreciate you. We should bring back too, State so. of the Table as a name and name the episodes that. I agree. This has been Tabletop Journeys with your State of the Table. So so let's throw that out there. So we used to do these all the time. You can find our State of the Table. uh, If you go onto YouTube, you can see our State of the Table episodes where we would take short episodes, 10, 15 minutes to discuss uh, three short topics. If you would like to go ahead and see that back, drop a comment down below or hit us up on Twitter and let us know. uh, Because if if there's interest out there in us covering more stuff like this, we would love to go ahead and do it. If you just want to talk about the episode you're listening to right now, do so hit us up in the comments here send us emails hit us on twitter in our facebook group you're more than welcome to join we really want to hear what you think about what we're talking about so if there's something we didn't cover that you think we should have covered based on the news of today let us know we'll try to make sure we're addressing the tabletop community news that you want us to cover if there's something that's concerning you exciting you interesting you hashtag call your boys ttj let's take a look at next week here's tuesday for this coming week we have got the latest chapter in our star trek preservation actual play featuring our patreons obviously if you want to get in on that game the easiest way to go ahead and do that is www.patreon.com slash tt journeys we'd love to go ahead and hear from you over there and then next friday we're going to have an episode that i'm really looking forward to recording we're going to dive into the realm of artificial intelligence and we're going to talk about some of the ai tools that are coming out like chat gpt what their uses are in the tabletop role-playing game community what their uses should not be in how they're being received by the role-playing community because as you can imagine in the tabletop role-playing game community there are a myriad of opinions on that particular topic gentlemen pleasure as always thank you for joining me tonight and thank you everybody out there for listening hope that you enjoyed today's uh, little check-in on the, uh, the tabletop role-playing game industry and its myriad of possibilities all right, all. good night all thank you for joining us this has been tabletop journeys we would love to hear your feedback on our show today Join us at www.ttjourneys.com 
where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys, joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday, and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash TT Journeys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for legends a week.